Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. A wonderful thing to sing. Just uh, inspires, encourages, and I hope uh, this points us to God and the greatness of who He is. So we turn again to Exodus, been there for a while, and uh, Exodus chapter 20, following through each one of these uh, Ten Commandments. And so I'm going to read from verse 1 today again, uh, Exodus chapter 20, reading from verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, uh, on it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed this Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now verse 13 is going to be our focus today. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor. So just so far then, the reading of the word. Lord, again, we turn this morning to this word, uh, thanking you for it. Lord, the privilege we have in our generation to read the word for ourselves, to be able to understand, to interpret, but as we gather this morning, Lord, to have it explained to us, but doing so, Lord, in dependence on your spirit at work, Lord, through me as the preacher, the speaker, but in each of us, Lord, to receive that which you have said. And as we come, Lord, to these commandments, that which you have commanded and instructed. And so guide us this morning, Lord, we pray, into a great, a greater relationship with you, molding us and forming us into the moral likeness of Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to take you back a little bit in this introduction this morning. I discovered this week that Ian Fleming wrote his first James Bond book. Young people, do you know James Bond? So the first Ian Fleming James Bond book was written in the 50s, 1953. Uh, 
a movie was made of his second book, I believe, and the movie was called Live and Let Die. Some of you may have seen that particular movie. The title of that movie, Live and Let Die, is a play on uh, an idiom. The words from a well-known idiom, uh, live and let live. And of course, what that idiom means to express is that you should go about your life also allowing others to go about their lives. A very positive, encouraging toward others. Live and let die means you should go about your life without regard for the lives of others. And of course, James Bond. We all know James Bond. He had no regard for others. We know that Ian Fleming created this character that could live this hardcore uh, life, international man of ministry, uh, life without any worry about the people he killed, since after all he had a license to kill. James Bond, 007, license to kill. Well, I did a little bit more scratching, and I found that in a grammar class on Google, the teacher said of the phrase, live and let die, and this is how she explained it. It is an expression encouraging you not to break for birds while driving. Okay? Or not to pay attention to where you're stepping when the snails are on the pavement. Now, would I be wrong? Would I be wrong this morning in saying that the mood today is more so to look out for the birds and the snails? Isn't that true? People looking out, as it were, for the animal kingdom and not really paying attention, not so much bothered about human life. Of course, other than your own. And so this morning, I want us to see and reflect on this this commandment, we are a society and even a church, sometimes even in the church, populated by professing believers that need to get back and understand the meaning and significance of this commandment from verse 13. It's the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And of course, at first sight, like the other commandments, it seems like it's easy to understand. It's simple, uh, but of all the ten, these Four simple words, straightforward words, uh, quoting Stuart Briscoe. He says, God confronts us with complex ideas that require our best thinking and also spiritual concern. And so to bring some clarity this morning, a couple of points I want to make. And I want to begin with my first point. What does it mean to murder? What does it mean to murder? The Hebrew word in this command uh, is in the form of a verb. So it's an action. It's a doing word. And, and the meaning translated as we would translate it would be to kill. Uh, it's not a commonly used word I discovered in my research this week. And it's a word used only of the taking of a human life. So you've got to keep that in mind as we be, begin to try and understand it. So in some instances, we find this word uh, used in the instances, instances of deliberate 
murder, intentional premeditated murder. And we see an example, I'll give you an example, Elijah's rebuke of Ahab over the way that he dealt with Naboth. Remember, he just had him killed. And in 1 Kings 21, 19, And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed, and he uses this word, Ratzach, and, and taken possession of the land. So, so broken the commandment. Other instances, the killing uh, was unintentional. And uh, in the Old Testament, we read of instances where people could flee to cities of refuge. I wonder if we could open these windows. I see they're all closed, and it's hot in here, and, and nothing worse than seeing people dozing off because of no air. All right, so, so let's get those windows open. Um, it'll just help us a little bit, I think, with some uh, oxygen to breathe. Just... All right, thank you, guys. Thanks for that. Where was I? So this word also used in the killing of unintentional killing, uh, regulations providing for uh, people to be able to flee to cities of refuge. Give an example, Deuteronomy 4 verse 42, that the manslayer might flee there, that is to the city of refuge, anyone he kills, Ratzach, his neighbor unintentionally, without being at enmity with him in the past time, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. So again, we have a, a specific description. So the, 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 the direction we're moving in is that the killings for which this verb was used always seems to have been uh, personally uh, related rather than communally initiated. I'll say a little bit more about this just now, but at no point in the Old Testament is capital punishment or the slaughter of enemies in war referred to by this particular word. And that's important as we live life uh, even in the days of the 21st century. It's difficult to translate this word into English. And I'm going to give you some uh, reasons or just two quick reasons why, and then I'll come up with a suggestion. If it is translated, you shall not kill... The commandment is made broader than the verb actually allows because then you should not in, be involved in capital punishment. You should not be involved in any kind of war killing, which means that people in U Ukraine would not be able to defend or should not defend themselves against the Russian onslaught. And, and so the not killing is 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 just uh, too broad and 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 of course the slaughter of animals would also be included and that would not be permitted either so we 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 don't want to just leave the word at that if it is translated you shall not murder then the commandment is narrowed and then the unintentional killing of someone or uh, the accidental killing of someone also uh, would be excluded from the range of meaning. So here's my suggestion. You shall not, on your own initiative, kill a human being. So that's, that's uh, I believe, what uh, God is saying here. You shall not, on your own initiative, kill a human being. Which then meets, moves me or leads us to a second question. Why is it wrong to kill a human being? You may think this is not important, but folk, it is important in the society we live in. You see, the logic being used in our society, in our particular 
context where a secular worldview is dominating, the logic is, well, if you kill an animal, why should you not be able to kill a human being? And, and so if we have no problem killing animals... Old Testament sacrificial system or, or, or those of us that enjoy a nice bryflace with a juicy steak. Why then, why then this concern about taking a human life? What makes a human life distinctive or different? What makes a human life sacred and different from the animals uh, and the animal kingdom. And again, uh, young people sitting in front of me here this morning, you are being raised in a context where people believe there is a continuum from the amoeba, a single cell creature, to uh, a sophisticated creature like a human being. And so there's no difference between whether you're an amoeba, whether you're a little insect crawling around the, the ground or swimming in the sea, or whether you're an ape or whether you're a human being. So the same rules apply. I mean, I remember reading uh, of an instance in New York where uh, a group of people were taking uh, somebody to court uh, regarding the preservation of elephants uh, in the zoo, for example. So, so they were trying to equate an animal with a human being. If you believe in evolution, that's where you end up. And so to begin with, we must see what it is that makes you as a person, young person, older person, distinctive. What sets you and me apart from the animal kingdom? Number one, people are made in the image and likeness of God. You are not like the animals. Your dog is very different to who you are. Your cat is not a, a human being. You have God-given capacities, abilities, and privileges that far exceed any kind of ability that even an intelligent ape or dog may have. And we go right back to the beginning of the Bible, chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 26, where God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, let them have dominion. It's an important concept. Uh, man has dominion over uh, the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, that is mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we people have a tremendous privilege, but also a responsibility of being the crown of God's creation. You have abilities, believe it or not, to think and reason. You, you, you have an eternal soul. That was why I went where I went in, in, in the dedication this, this morning. Uh, pointing out that, that each one of us people are created with an eternal soul. A body that will eventually uh, fade away, but a soul that will live on into eternity. You have the capacity to know God. Animals don't have that ability. They don't have that privilege. We have the capacity to not only know, but communicate, to have a relationship with God. And then even more, 
greater privilege that we have. God gives to us what, what old theologians used to call communicable attributes. He shares some of his attributes with us in terms of morality and holiness and reflecting. You're able to reflect something of the nature of God. And so the point is this. To destroy that which is distinctive in the image of God is to destroy something God made like himself. It's an action that mocks and defies the creator. Number two, to kill is an act of finality that cannot be undone. The commandment has to do with our relationships with people. Even yet today, people are connected in some way or another. We have husbands and wives, parents and children. We have cousins and, and aunts and, and uh, even distant relatives. We have a community of God's people, the family of God in relationship here this morning. But we must understand that these relationships that we have with people springs out of our relationship primarily with God. And even in a broader sense, uh, in, in a comprehensive sense, God is the father of all men in terms of him being their maker, him being their creator. Paul mentions this in his sermon in Acts chapter 17. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them, the exact places where they should live, and then verse 27, as some of the, your own poets have said, we are his offspring, inclusive. Everybody at some level is a child of God. I need to just clarify there, not savingly, but in a created sense. And so therefore, every human relationship is secondary to our relationship with God whether it be in the marriage or whether it be even uh, the, the expression of our character, whether it be us as parents or in friendship, in community, God has given to you an ability uh, of, 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 of life, the gift of life, and therefore the giving of life creates the possibility of every other relationship. And the cessation of life ends them all. Let me give you an example. I think we were all shocked. I don't know how many years ago it was now. The morning we woke up to the news that Oscar Pistorius had shot Riva Steenkamp. 29 years old, irreversible. Regardless of excuses, regardless of motives, regardless of whatever the situation was, the point is that she had been given a life God giving the possibility of relationships at various levels in different places. And that uh, morning, with her being shot at and killed, terminates that possibility. You see something of the seriousness of, of killing, of, of murder? So the commandment puts a wall around every human being. And reserves the right of ending that life to God only. That's, that's what this uh, commandment is teaching us. God alone has the relationship with his creatures beyond death. And so therefore to kill is to challenge that right with severe consequences like personal relationships being destroyed. The broader context 
in fact, sinking into chaos. Remember, and I think this is so important, to kill always is an expression of rebellion to God. It challenges the fact of divine intention and divine authority. Which leads me to my third point. How do we apply this commandment today? And I want to just give a couple of examples. I'm going to make one or two comments on each of them. Um, premeditated killing. We ought not to be involved. This is what God is directing us in. Uh, premeditated killing is breaking this commandment. We, of course, refer to this as murder. And we understand from the Bible that such a person committing such a crime ought to be brought to justice, facing the consequences of his evil or her evil action. Exodus 21 verse 12, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. If a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. It's a very serious business. And, of course, the application of this command. Very interesting, I found that nowhere does God make a distinction between premeditated and aggravated or provoked murder. So, for example, revenge. He, he, he doesn't provide for, for situations of revenge where someone is being abused or someone reacts in, in bitter anger and, and they kill someone. The Bible still sees that. God still sees that as, as murder, as, as killing. Uh, sometimes people have justified that kind of thing. And, and uh, yet, let's have a look at the words of Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 38 of Matthew. You've heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone, anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. Now, what happened was uh, many people took the Old Testament uh, uh, law into their own hands to get even, but they misused the passage because the passage wasn't an intention for everybody to be doing this, but that it ought to be part of the legal system where magistrates uh, determine the outcome and, and, and the, the penalty for such a sin. If there is harm, Exodus ch chapter 21 verse 23 you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. It was to be applied by the, the, the rightfully appointed legal people. Number two, not only premeditated killing, but murder through carelessness. God urges us to live in such a way that we should not and must not be the cause of the death of another person through any kind of irresponsible action. Let me give you the verse. Deuteronomy 22, verse 8. When you build a new house, you shall not make a parapet for your roof that you may not, uh, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. You get the point? So don't do something irresponsible. In other words, when you're driving down Linwood Road, don't ignore the red light. Somebody else might be coming through the green light. That's, that's the reason why we, we, we do that. I thought of a, an instance uh, when Carol and I were still younger uh, married couple, and she was still working in, in secular 
business, she had these, these friends that were away at Sun City. And uh, they were involved in a party at Sun City. And on the way back from that party, one of the men had had one or two uh, shots of alcohol. I don't know what you would call it. Drinks of alcohol to many. And uh, in his irresponsible behavior, he overtook a car on a blind rise and ended up killing an entire family uh, that was part of the uncommon, un, oncoming traffic. Irresponsible. Stupid. Uh, and, and, and God will hold that person responsible for that kind of irresponsible action. Uh, perhaps the biggest challenge to us today is because of the pressure from secular society is that of the third issue of abortion. Abortion. It's such a big issue if you listen to any of the politics of what's going on in the United States of America, it is the big issue. And the point being that the abortion boundary is being pushed to the place of infanticide, I think is the word. There are certain states uh, in, the, in America, New York in particular, who is seeking to, they're seeking to pass legislation that you can, in fact, even after the birth of an infant, still decide whether you want this infant or not. So, so the, the sanctity of life is being eradicated. Uh, this, the understanding being that this is not actually a human being and, and, until someone decides it ought to be a human being. And, and so we need to be clear as those who are, uh, uh, taught by God and directed by God and understand something of the, the special creation uh, by God, that the ending of a newborn baby's life or, or even the ending of, 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 a, of a fetus that is beginning to grow in, in a woman's body is forbidden by God. It, 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 it's, it's a straightforward reality. Life is life from the moment of conception. Don't believe the lie that this has got to do with woman's health. That's the word, the terminology being used today. The word abortion is not uh, utilized. It's, it's a regard for reproductive health, reproductive choice. It's not insignificant that the Hebrew in the Old Testament, there's no word for fetus. Interesting. The same word is used for the child in the womb and the newborn child. Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb from the very beginning of conception. For the prophet Jeremiah, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is God speaking to the prophet, before I formed you in the womb. This is God's doing. This is God's work. This is God creating life. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Number four, another uh, pressure that's coming upon us in our society is that of euthanasia. And I'm just looking around to see how many gray-haired people we've got here. Your life is at risk. Did you know that? Because society is beginning to see you as a nuisance. Very sadly, isn't it? That, that you kind of passed your sell-by date. 
uh, past your usefulness in society. And, and, and so euthanasia, it, surely the application of any human being must apply to the younger person, also the fetus in the womb of the mother, but also the elderly person. Older people are still people. Older people still are those who are created in the image of God. They still have value, great value in society, in the family. And so rather than thinking about euthanasia, those of us who are younger ought to be thinking about how to care for the elderly. Rather than thinking that we can somehow somehow offload them because they've come to the end of their useful lives. And I want to add something. Somebody's life is not in isolation. Other people's providences are arranged around other people's lives. And so an older person who has been cared for, an older person that might be in a frail care center or in an intensive care unit in a hospital, has other people connected where they too respond and do things and apply realities of of Christian love and compassion and care. And so their providences, older people's providences, are not isolated. They are tied to what God is doing with others and in others as well. So if you do have gray hair, we no need to think that our lives are worthless and useless in the eyes of God. We are still part of the crown of God's creation. Fifth one is suicide. You know the younger people sitting in front here this morning, did you know the leading cause of death amongst those under 25? Suicide. That's a very scary reality. And I wonder today if that pressure isn't even harder on our young people because of all of the pressure that comes through social media. Wanting to be accepted, wanting to conform, or feeling they don't conform. Well, young people and older folk, God teaches that life is sacred and suicide should not be an option. There are ways of dealing with challenges. There is hope uh, in, in life for any one of us. And, and so we need to see, we need to see that suicide is, is actually self-murder. It's self-murder and, 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 and not in keeping with that which uh, is within God's uh, prescription uh, for us. There were those in the Old Testament, and I say this, who wished they would die. And the one that came to my mind immediately uh, was Elijah. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. He asked that he might die at the end of his tether. But he did not commit suicide. There is a way forward. And we need to communicate that message to younger people and old people that there is a way of hope beyond thoughts of suicide. I'd like to do a separate message on this next point. Uh, capital punishment, because I have discovered that even within us there are different views as to whether capital punishment should be uh, still practiced or not. Uh, there are those believers, I think I'm one of them, who firmly believe that uh, capital punishment is still uh, within uh, the confines and the importance of being practiced uh, under God's prescription 
of things. It is necessary. Look at the lawlessness in our own society because of a lack of consequences. There's no consequence. Life is cheap in my own community, in my, in the road behind me and the road just uh, a little bit further down. In the last year, two people have been murdered in their houses. Life is cheap because no one ever catches a criminal and even if the criminal is caught, there's no consequence. And so capital punishment, whoever sheds the blood of a man, Genesis chapter 9, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made him. But I want to come back to that at some point in time and deal with it more comprehensively. Let me conclude. Now, if you notice that God includes uh, all those acts which are associated with violence, that, that's what this commandment is dealing with. Hatred and aggression, and, and Jesus himself verifies this. Matthew chapter, tw- at, at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard it said, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So why am I ending like this today? It is because we are again seeing that this commandment, like the other commandments, covers inward attitudes, not just outward action. One of the catechisms of the past, the Heidelberg Catechism, explains it like this. Teaching children, teaching young people. I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less deeds. So these old theologians understood the application of what Jesus is saying. It's not just the outward action of putting a knife to somebody's throat. It's also the words and actions and thoughts that come from your mouth. So instead of being one of the easiest commandments, many of you are thinking today, I've not shot anybody, I've not aborted a baby, I've not committed a suicide, I'm good with God. You've got to go further than that in your thinking. This is actually one of the most difficult commandments to keep. Because even when we're not actually killing one another with our deeds, sometimes with our words, More often, sadly, even in the Christian church, our words, our words, slandering, dishonoring one another, even in our thoughts. Which brings us back to the place of the gospel and need. The Ten Commandments are not a ladder by which we climb up to God. There's a great danger in self-righteously ticking off your accomplishments Uh, I'm keeping the commandments, you may think. I have not murdered, I have not committed adultery. Got to think a little deeper. The Ten Commandments are rather to be used as a mirror. Jesus helps us to see our sin and our need for salvation. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And so, like me, you have got angry with people, I would imagine, or you uh, do get angry with people, and, and that could be in the family, your wife, your spouse, your husband, taxi driver, the tax collector, 
And all that does is exposes us in front of the mirror. We stand in need of grace. We stand in need of forgiveness. All of us are sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. We're in need of forgiveness and grace. We're in need of the redeeming love and work of Jesus. So I want you to go back to James Bond. All right? But I don't want to live and let die. I think that's the wrong attitude. I want to live and let live. That was the title of the message today. How do we live and let live? Well, Jesus tells us, live and let live. John chapter 10, verse 10. The way to really live. I have come to give life and life abundantly. That's what Jesus says. And I will give you that life. I will forgive you. I will, I've redeemed you. I will apply that redemption by my spirit. Because he goes on in the very next verses, he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And so, folk, I would urge you, as you seek to grow in the grace of God, pursue your sanctification in obedience to the commands and the direction and the will of God. But in that process, understanding the need, salvation in the first instance. Coming to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. So may God help us uh, in the keeping and the honoring of all that he wants us to do. And so, Lord, we pray to that end as we conclude uh, this message this morning. And I do pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, by exposing our hearts. Uh, So easy, Lord, to think we are safe, and yet there is such a need to have a right standing with you. And Lord, none of us, each of us, have uh, no righteousness of our own, but stand in need of your gift of uh, salvation, of grace, of your perfect record of righteousness, you having taken on yourself, Lord, the punishment for our record of unrighteousness. And so, Lord, may we revel in the greatness of your generosity toward us in forgiveness, leading us forward, we pray, uh, day by day, in seeking to live as you would have us live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.